Hello team and welcome to episode 455 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Timothy Regal. Timothy is a funeral director, author, and a man who has overcome a porn and sex addiction. It's estimated that 1 in 10 men are addicted to porn, and that even 3% of women identify with the statement that they are addicted. Not only that, but approximately 25% of all search engine requests are porn-related. So it's safe to say that it's absolutely everywhere and more accessible than ever. But what is it doing to young men today? What is it doing to society today? And what is the short and long-term impact on having this so readily available? This, along with so much more, is exactly what Timothy and I discussed today. In this episode, you can expect to learn how Timothy went from cheating on his wife and dealing with a porn and sex addiction to renewing his vows and having a stronger marriage than ever. Should you ever watch porn or sleep with multiple people in your younger years, along with what Timothy believes the solution is to healing and getting your life back on track after addiction. So without further ado, Timothy Regal. Timothy Regal, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. The pleasure is truly mine. I'm excited to dive into today's topic of conversation, but I also want to get to know a little bit more about you first. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Who are you and what is it that you do? Sure. So what I do is I help men who struggle with porn and sex addiction. And it's something that I came about out of my own addiction after years and years of struggling with that and, and finally finding freedom through a number of different things and unique circumstances, I ended up being in a position to help other men. And so I've been doing that for about four years now. Okay. And tell us a little bit more about what led you on that path. What did your journey look like before you became the man who helps people dealing with those certain situations that they were going through? Sure. Well, I was struggling with addiction for over 15 years. I mean, it started kind of as a, as a normal teenager and continued into adulthood and into my marriage. And it was almost six years ago now that I kind of had my wake up call or my turnaround moment, you know, and when that finally hit and I was fully exposed and that's when I got serious help because before then I did all the things you were supposed to do, right? You know, so I went to counseling. I had an accountability partner. I talked to pastors. I read all the books. I went to seminars, you know, I, I did all the things you're, you know, supposed to do, right? And none of those really worked. But this last time I got help from a friend of mine who was a serious mentor to me. And what he helped me do was not just quit the addiction. He, he realized that I needed to heal from it. And he helped me recognize that I wasn't just some horny pervert or something. It, it, you know, it wasn't just that I wasn't trying hard enough or didn't care or, you know, if he really wanted to quit, he would just quit type of thing. I really wanted to quit, but I couldn't. That's what makes it an addiction, right? So he helped me realize and understand why I was addicted and that it was an emotional and a spiritual issue, not a sexual issue. And so he helped me recognize things that in my life that I was using porn and sex to escape from. It was an escape. It was a coping mechanism. It was how I dealt with pain, how I dealt with life. So when he really helped me heal that from the inside out and, and deal with those issues directly and learn to deal with them in a healthy way so that I could heal the addiction, like I said, not just quit it. And so that helped me to finally find that lasting sobriety and freedom that I've been looking for for so long. And then through kind of unique sets of circumstances, I found myself helping others with it. I had originally, you know, once, even after I had, had found some sobriety and recovery, it was kind of like, all right, well, I dealt with this and I fixed it now and I can move on with my life. I never really intended to do much else with it or really tell anybody about it. Or, you know, I certainly wasn't on the internet talking to people about it. And, but I found myself in situations through church and other areas where I was able to mentor to some young men and realized how rampant this problem is amongst young men. Interesting. So I was able to mentor to them and then started writing online a little bit and posting on Twitter and Instagram and started a blog and things like that. And then it just, God kind of took it and, and ran with it. And here I am, you know, four years later, you know, still doing this and still helping people. And I've written a book and 
you know, coach guys one-on-one now. So it's been a heck of a journey, man. And, you know, it, it wasn't something I ever really intended to be on, but I'm glad I'm here. Yeah, we're all glad that you're here. And it's always great when those who are talking about certain issues in the world are those who went through the journey themselves. I always think that they're the best people to help those in need because ultimately they know exactly what the other person is going through. So I want to go back to what you are going through as well because if I would like to understand what it looks like or at least what it feels like or what the mindset is of someone who's addicted and how that changed throughout certain courses of your life. Because I can imagine that when you were much younger, maybe it wasn't so much of an issue. Maybe it was something that was pretty normal amongst the boys your age. And maybe even when it comes to the sex side of things versus the porn, it was like, okay, well, that's actually commonly accepted amongst my male friends, right? Maybe there was this spiritual hangover you were having maybe the next day or this existential hangover you were having. But generally by your community, at least, you know, the boys you were around at that time was probably well accepted. And that's the thing with different types of addictions, right? When it comes to a drug addiction, for example, the accessibility and everything along those lines is is the challenge, right? And there's a bit of shame. There's a little bit of risk as well of accessing that. Whereas alcohol, you can obviously walk into a supermarket and get that. And, you know, people aren't going to look down on you because it's so commonly accepted. So when it came to an addiction like that one, what did it look like for you? And during those teenage years, the early 20s, progressing into your 30s, how did that change as well in marriage too? Yeah, so it started relatively innocently, right? Yeah. I was just a teenage boy, just a curious teenage boy. I first was exposed to porn and things probably around 12 or 13. I found that it's a lot younger now. And some of that is just this technology. How young would you say that you've experienced since speaking to boys in the churches and everything like that? The average age of the guys I coach, their first exposure is probably nine or 10. Wow. Now. I don't know how old you are, but I'm in my late 30s. So I grew up in the kind of the cusp of the internet age, right? So late 90s, you know, where, you know, we were just starting to get the internet stuff. You know, prior to that, like you say, as far as accessibility, there was a lot more risk involved. You know, you know, you had to go to a store and buy porn, right? Or you had to, you might not be old enough to remember this, but there were video rental stores and there was like this creepy curtain in the back corner where that you had to go behind, you know. So there was a lot more risk involved. And then the internet came and it was easily, for me back then, when I was a teenager, it was on a desktop, you know, there weren't smartphones yet then. Now... You know, everybody, you were giving kids at eight, nine years old one of these things and giving them unfettered access to it. So it started relatively innocently. And I I grew up in a good, healthy, happy Christian home. My dad's a pastor. And I didn't have any, any major trauma or anything. A lot of the guys I work with have a lot of emotional trauma, you know, abuse or things like that. But I didn't have any of that. I was just kind of a curious kid discovered it and realized, hey, this is awesome. You know, I knew it was wrong from my moral upbringing and my religious upbringing, but I never really understood why it was wrong. And it was just kind of, don't do this, it's bad. Well, why is it bad? And, and then I discover it and I find it out. And I was like, this is awesome. It feels amazing. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. And what happened then is I got older, it got worse. So it was becoming more of a daily type of thing where it was consuming, you know, hours of my time. The other thing that it does is it escalates as far as the content. So like any other addiction, you build up a tolerance to it and you need more and more of it. Well, with the porn, it's that addiction to that dopamine release. So unlike other addictions like alcohol, drugs, where if you build up a tolerance, you just drink more, right? Well, Porn addicts don't just watch the same video over and over and over again, right? It's always got to be something new, something different, something novel. And that's what creates this escalation that I saw and almost every guy I work with saw. So it's getting into more hardcore stuff, sometimes more fetish stuff, weird stuff that you wouldn't even normally necessarily find appealing. And then it jumps into webcams and chat rooms. You know, chat rooms were big back then. And... It jumps into other areas and progressively gets worse. And, you know, I spent a lot of years playing in bands. I play a couple instruments and, you know, doing stuff like that, which just kind of encourages that sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle. So 
yeah, some of it was the environment that I was in that it was, well, one environment I was in, it was accepted as far as kind of like the music stuff. But then the other environment that I'm a part of, which is my family in the church, obviously it wasn't. So there was kind of that back and forth of, yeah, I know this is kind of wrong, but like everybody else is doing it, you know, type of thing too. So fast forward to then my early 20s, I get married, I have kids, and that's when I realized it was becoming a major issue. And I always knew it was a problem, but it wasn't necessarily at the forefront of my life. But that's also the time that it it really escalated and got worse. So mine escalated into not just porn, not just webcams, chat rooms, things like that. It escalated into physical things. So affairs, hookups, you know, it got into, you know, texting different people all the time. And then as, again, as the technology progressed, the dating apps and things like that. And, and so that continued on and off for the first 10 years of my marriage. And there were times where it would take hours of my day, then, but then there were times where I would be like, you know what, I'm done with this. And I would be away from it for a few weeks or a few months, but I always went back to it. I could never truly deal with it. I got caught several times and, you know, again, did all the things I was supposed to do, you know, made it look like I was getting better, but I would always eventually go back to it. I could never truly get over it. And how did your marriage survive during that time? Uh, God (laughs) helped us get through that. And that's the only thing I can attest it to. And honestly, I mean, if you look at things, first of all, on paper, you know, and you look at what I did and, and the things I was struggling with. It's like, yeah, what? No marriage is going to survive that, right? You know, no, no woman's going to put up with that for ten years. At the same time, my wife, I was blessed with a loving and forgiving wife, and we were committed to each other. And when we, you know, stood before that altar and said "I do" for better or worse, or you know, all that, you know, we meant it. And so she believed in me, and she understood, even though she was hurt, she was devastated, heartbroken. But she understood that that wasn't the real me, that that was something I was struggling with, that it wasn't, you know, while I was making a conscious decision to do it, it wasn't the real me. And she knew that I wanted to be free from it and it was something that I couldn't break free from. And I'm blessed with that. I'm blessed with her forgiveness and her understanding and her support of me. And, and she encouraged me to get better. You know, I, there was never this kind of, you know, or else type of thing. You know, we did actually separate for a year um, at one point, but we did, we got back together and we decided to make it work no matter what. And thankfully, you know, we stuck through it and we fought it, you know, fought through it and, you know, through her forgiveness and God's redemption and forgiveness and healing and guidance and everything, we were able to make it through and not only make it through and survive, but thrive. We renewed our wedding vows on our 10th wedding anniversary after all this. and, And our marriage is better now for it and and we're stronger it's obviously not the marriage path that i would recommend anyone going on but it has made us stronger as a couple because of it yeah it's very impressive and you know all the respect to your wife as well for being so committed to those vows that she made i think about that now as i'm about to get married soon and obviously like said for better and worse and you know you say that with open arms when maybe your partner is doing the things that you maybe expect them to do, you know, they're committed, they're loyal and everything along those lines. But if you actually take that vow extremely seriously, that's essentially what it could entail as well. So huge respect to her for holding up that side of the vows as well. So I understand where it presented itself as a problem. And I'm interested to know, and I get the understanding when I look at your content, is that you're very zero tolerance when it comes to the porn side of things and everything along those lines. So why... Would it be a problem for someone who is in their early teenage years, for example, progressing into their 20s? Because if I know there's a lot of people who can maybe go through those phases and just drop them as soon as they're in a relationship, they become loyal, they become faithful to their partner, and it's something that they can turn the page on. It's very similar with alcohol as well. Maybe not so much drugs, but alcohol too. It's like some people can just take it or leave it. And then you have to ask the question, well, would you be zero tolerance on something like alcohol if someone can just say, well, actually, I can enjoy a drink from time to time, but I can actually close the chapter on that book if I want to. So where do you stand in the way of people having the discovery that maybe they need to go through and also that zero tolerance mindset of not allowing it to potentially get worse, right? It's just 
almost playing with fire, I should imagine. Absolutely, it's, it's playing with fire. And my response to that would be, what are you gaining from it? And yeah, there are guys. It's more rare than you think. A lot of people say that and try to justify it. They're like, oh, well, you know, I just do it from time to time. It's not hurting anyone. And, you know, I can quit anytime. You know, if I was with a girlfriend, I would remain faithful to it. Okay, then do it. And when you can't, call me. Right? So, and that's normally the case. And that's often what happens. And the difference between that is I do think that other things can be done in moderation. You know, I have a lot of friends who are sober from drinking. I'm not. I, I enjoy a glass of nice whiskey from time to time, you know, and, and it, it's not a problem for me. It's never been, that has never been an addictive thing for me. But that also isn't negatively affecting my marriage. I guess that's the thing that I'm trying to say is that up until the point in which you're potentially into a faithful relationship or something along those lines, maybe some people look at porn as the same as you look at whiskey. Sure. But if you're not married and building up to that life, most people want to be and most people want to live true to themselves and you're not setting yourself up for success for that because if you think oh i'm just going to go do all these crazy wild things and think they're not going to affect you later on you're kidding yourself you know the guy and this happens too the guy that goes and you know sows his wild oat and kind of becomes you know screws everything that moves for the first you know half of his 20s and then thinks he's all of a sudden just going to settle down with one person for the rest of his life you're kidding yourself in that situation you're going to struggle with things like that because you've ingrained this in yourself that you can go and have sex with all these people, either physically through hookups and things like that, or metaphorically or, or whatever through porn. You're ingraining that in yourself. You're getting hooked to that dopamine into it. And yeah, there, like you say, there, there's guys who, who aren't as addicted to it as, say, I was or a lot of the men I coach, but I still don't think it's healthy for you. Yep. You know, it, it leads to depression. It leads to erectile dysfunction. It actually causes more anxiety than it relieves. There's obviously the shame of things that are attached to it. And so there's all these things that lead up to it that I don't think are healthy under any circumstances. I don't think there is a moderate use level of porn. I don't think that there's anything that benefits from it. And so when guys say that, oh, well, I just do it a little bit, it doesn't hurt anybody. Well, you're hurting yourself and potentially hurting your future spouse, future partner. And so I don't see any positive benefit from it under any sort of moderation. To play the devil's advocate here, the benefit that I potentially see is a lot of people get into relationships early, perhaps, or marriages early, and they still have that curiosity. Maybe they feel like they were never able to explore that side because they grew up in perhaps a very religious household where this was looked at as bad and good. And now they always live with this thing in the back of their mind of like, what would life be like if? And they're then unable to commit or then unable to really feel like they truly lived and fulfilled their life. Even when, you know, sometimes the grass isn't always greener, right? They look on the other side and they think it could be sunshine and rainbows and that they need to have this experience, but it might not be that in reality. But still that curiosity is there. And I think there's a lot of men and probably women perhaps as well who think, well, you know, I never had that phase of my life. I never went through this part. And yes, it could do more harm than good. Absolutely. But also it could do a lot of harm by always having that thought in the back of your mind. And realistically, you're with your partner, but you're thinking, oh, well, I never really got my chance to, you know, especially maybe not so much when it comes to the porn side of things, but when it comes to the sex side of things, I think there is a lot of people who say that, you know, how do I know that I, you know, there's a bunch of ice cream flavors here. I want to experience a few of them, but I only got the chance to experience vanilla or chocolate. And now I'm not sure if I can stick with vanilla or chocolate for the rest of my life. I feel like a lot of people do find themselves in that position. So is there some benefits from at least going to the ice cream shop and trying a few before you settle on vanilla or chocolate is the question I'm asking. My answer would be that you're not ready to get married. You're not ready to be in a long-term relationship if you're staring at all these other flavors of ice cream, if you will, right? The other thing is I think we need to better educate our kids and our young adults regarding this. Because a lot of people see that lifestyle, you know, oh, I'm going to go, you know, live life before I settle down. That's kind of become the thing. We see people waiting longer to get married. I got married at 21. And 
you see this thing where you use your 20s to kind of do that to live life, and then you settle down and get married in your 30s. And I don't think that's necessarily beneficial. It treats marriage and it treats kids as kind of this, oh, well, that's what you do once you've done everything else. What to me really is any husband and any father will tell you, your life didn't begin until you started your family. That's when the real adventure starts. So I think we need to do a better job of educating people that sow your wild oats kind of period and exploratory period doesn't really add anything to you. All it does is delay your eventual happiness in in marriage and fatherhood. You know, most dads that I know, whether they became a dad at 25 or 35, they were like, "I I wish I became a dad sooner. I love being a dad, right? Yeah. And so... We glamorize, and the media is to blame for a lot of this, social media is to blame for a lot of this, that period where, yeah, you just, you're carefree and go and do whatever you want. And sure, there's parts of that that are great, you know, and, you know, I spent years doing that with the bands and, and, you know, but I was, I was also 18 or 19, but, and I think most people realize that time, if they spent that time out, you know, kind of being a man whore, if you will, for, for lack of a better term, eventually they realize it, it wasn't worth it and it did more harm than good. And I realized that most of the men I coach have realized that most mature adult men realize that like that didn't really gain anything. Sure. It was a shiny red ball that you chase after for a while. But when you get there, yeah, I've done all that. So what? So what? I've hooked up with 25 chicks congratulations like what you know and then you have all the emotional baggage that comes along with that and the all the past and the exes and all those type of things I don't see the benefit from it you know and I think once you do get into it you realize it wasn't worth it yeah I think the poison is in the dose maybe and I think that maybe this is the challenge it's sometimes maybe easier to say okay let's go down the path of virtue for lack of a better term let's go down the virtuous cycle and not have any of that because of the opposite of that is usually the tr- like the path well-traveled in the sense that, yeah, like I said, it could be 2025 when realistically an exploration period could be, you know, a year and to put a number on it, three different people who you've maybe seen or had relationships with, right? Sure. As a, you know, it depends on the situation, but on average, right, three people is going to have a lot less baggage than 25. So perhaps, you know, what we're trying to come to the point of is that you're saying, well, you know, it usually goes down the path of 25. That comes with a lot of baggage. It comes with a lot of you know, an emotional guilt, hangovers, whatever it might be. And going down the path of just saying, I'm going to consciously explore for just one year. I'm going to choose two people or three people just to have my experience. It's just not lived out enough and maybe it's not easy enough to do. So the easier path today is like, where do you want your path to be in the future to be? And then start traveling that path immediately than trying to take this path, which is super, super narrow, which no one does. And, you know, the temptations are there and it's really hard to stay on that straight line. So is that kind of where we're at with it? Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that you have to marry the first person you date, you know, because I think there's, there are parts of life where you live and learn. Yeah. I don't think there's any issue with dating multiple people throughout your life. And and because what you're doing is you're vetting people for a spouse, right? Really, that's what, that's the point of dating. You know, dating has become this thing where, you know, that it's just kind of an endless type of thing and it's disposable. I'm with this person. They make me happy. When they stop making me happy, I'm going to throw them away and get another person. You know, when, when, what it really should be is I'm vetting this person to be my spouse for the rest of my life. And so, yeah, like you say, where, you know, Hey, I'm going to date some people. I'm going to learn. I'm going to progress. If the, I don't see the, if the point of dating those people is just to bang them, like, I don't see much point in that. If it's to gain experience in dating and learn what you're looking for in someone and, and what you need to work on yourself, then then yeah, I think that's certainly understandable. You can fall into the extreme trap, especially on the religious side, where now I do believe in abstinence till marriage because that's what the Bible teaches, and I think that's a, you know I understand that isn't easy, and it's not the it's a sin, but it's it's not eternal damnation if you mess up on that and, and seek forgiveness. But a lot of people fall into that trap where they hold to that so rigidly that when they do become married, they end up having issues as well because they've never, there's so much shame and things associated with it. So yeah, there is a balancing act there. On the porn side, again, I don't see any benefit of that whatsoever. 
you know, sitting alone in your room jerking off to pixels on your iPhone, to me, has no benefit to your life. It brings nothing to you but escape and dopamine addiction. Yeah, let's come back to that one because I think that this is something that's maybe more troublesome on a societal level because of going out and finding someone to hook up with is a hell of a lot more effort than typing a few oh yeah a few letters on your phone and being able to discover a world of everything that you never even knew existed so when it comes to a societal level we have obviously things like social media even becoming just as much of a platform from that perspective as even like going and searching for a specific website or things like OnlyFans. You mentioned chat rooms was like the thing back in your day and now it's kind of more OnlyFans. You can feel like you're actually connecting with the person, quote unquote, or maybe it's, you know, their male manager, but you don't really know about it. There's, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. So what is that doing to men? And I guess also women today because of, I want to go through that as well. Obviously there's a lot that's happening to men, but there's also now females who are saying, well, this it's a career path. I can make way more money by doing this than, you know, working my butt off in, you know, some store when I'm 16 or 17 years old or having a career that only pays me 40K per year when, you know, these influencers or OnlyFans girls are making 100K. So there's a big societal challenge there. So what are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, I think we have tried to make everything so accessible and it's so easy to access and what that has done is, especially on the on the male level, just because that's who I deal with, it's made porn the safe route. And like you said, as a negative behavior as I believe it is to just go out and screw a bunch of people, at least in that situation, you're physically and putting yourself out there. You know, you have to turn yourself into the type of man who other women are attracted to. You know, you have to take care of yourself. You have to do things. You have to have the courage to go out and risk rejection by asking someone out or going on a date with someone. Or even if it's a Tinder hookup, there's, you still have to have some sort of put yourself out there and some sort of risk of that. The problem is the majority of the men aren't doing that. The majority of the men are sitting at home, like I said, you know, with their dick in their hand watching their iPhone, right? And... One of the reasons that has become so prevalent is because there's no risk in it. So like I said earlier, a lot of this is an emotional issue. It's not a sexual issue. It's not that these guys are just hornier than everybody else or they just have this insatiable sex drive. They use porn to escape. They use porn to cope. And same as alcoholics use alcohol and drugs. Drug users use drugs to escape and to cope and to deal with life. Porn has become that for them. It's their safe I hate the term, but it is their safe space. It's their, there's comfort there. You know, if a guy, let's say a teenager was asked to go out and got rejected, you know, and she's like, you no, you're gross. Well, that's going to affect him on the emotional level, right? That hurts. That stings. I mean, that happened to me, right? And we think about that now that I'm older. It's like, well, who gives a shit? Who didn't get dumped in their teenage years, right? But when you're 15, 16, 17 years old, that hurts. And you need to find a way to escape that. And you learn to do that. While the other thing is you go is you can get your, if you're struggling in that area, if you're, you fear failure, you fear rejection, you fear all those things on the emotional level, porn allows you to get that sexual gratification without the risk. And especially now into the OnlyFans and different types of things where there is a quasi-relationship allows you to get that without any risk of rejection. Porn's never going to reject you. Porn's never going to tell you you're not good enough. You know, you're always the best and brightest and every woman wants you and, and all those type of things, which in the real world might be the complete opposite. And so there's zero risk with that. So men pursue that because it's safe, because there's no risk, because it's an escape. And, and that's what becomes so addictive about it because why would I risk all these other things by going out there and potentially finding what I really want, which is a real relationship and real intimacy and connection. Instead, I think I'm going to get that through the shortcut of sexual gratification. And so that's why a lot of guys are so caught up in it and why it has so much appeal is because it takes the the risk of rejection out of it. Yeah, it's kind of that same aspect of video games to a degree as well, is that you can live an adventure through a screen with zero risk, with zero chance of being harmed in the process 
and go live the adventure that your life really needs. Zero responsibility. Zero, exactly. Responsibility for your actions, you know, responsibility whether you get it right or wrong. And you can, yeah, live in this virtual world. So it makes sense. It's kind of substituting something that you want slash need in the real world for something that has far less risk or responsibility. And it makes sense because, you know, the world's getting more convenient, more accessible, and more, com yeah, I already said more convenient. <laughs> saying it twice for a reason. So realistically, a lot of people will take that path. And especially when it's what they've grown up with. Like you and I, well, at least, yeah, we didn't grow up with cell phones, at least to a certain point in our life. And now, as we know, you know, cell phones and tablets and everything are being put in our hands from the very, very beginning. Because So that becomes a new norm. So how do we balance that? Obviously, we grew up without cell phones and we still had those challenges. So how are the next generation supposed to navigate that when devices are in their hands from very, very early years? I think that comes down to the parents. We really do. We can't, sex education shouldn't be taught by the schools. It should be taught by the parents. You know, and then they're gonna. The schools are gonna teach them shit that the parents probably don't want them to know or, or think about. They're, you know, the schools have their own agendas, right? Yep. And parents need to be wary of what they're doing. And if they're giving their kids, first of all, I don't think they should give their kids cell phones at ten years old, right? I don't think that's healthy for anybody in any, you know, generation. Even if there wasn't porn, even if porn didn't exist. I don't think it's healthy for a kid to have a cell phone at 10 years old. I just, that's just not. But at the same time, we need to do a better job of educating our kids, of teaching our kids, of helping them to learn and grow and understanding our kids. Like I said over and over again, this, this is an emotional issue. It's not a sexual issue. It's, it's not about pleasure. It's about pain. So teaching our kids from a young age how to process things like that, how to deal with those emotional things, and how to not use things as a crutch, to use things as an escape. You know, so many parents don't get to know their kids on a deeper level. You know, they don't communicate with their kids. They talk to their kids, you know, their kid's 12, and they talk to them like they're three still. You know, have those conversations with your kids. Talk to your kids about sex, about porn, about life. You're not raising kids. You're raising little adults. Your purpose is to raise them into be proper adults and members of society and good people. You know, it's not just that let's get through these 18 years as easy as possible and then you're on your own, right? Yeah. So we need to have those conversations with them and talk to them and understand them and get on their level and understand where they're dealing with and how they're hurting so that when they encounter struggles in life in their teenage years, when they're curious, when they get hurt, when they get rejected when they have all these things happen to them you know the the, the crazy teenage years and I, I mean I got two teenage girls right now I'm going through it so and so I get it but we need to teach them how to deal with that in healthy ways and I think there's just a lack of that parental relationship there instead of getting to know our kids and helping them and, and teaching them and doing all things we're either letting like I said the school sex education class teach them or we're letting some counselor or therapist put God knows what into their head and paying them $100 an hour to do it. When if we had just taught our kids from the beginning and understood them and taught them healthy ways to handle their emotions and things, we wouldn't have any of those issues. And they'd grow up and they'd be able, yeah, they're still going to have things. They're kids, right? It's going to happen. Yeah. But they're going to be in a much better scenario to deal with that than like I did learning how to cope with all that and having an addiction and a, and a crutch and, and a coping mechanism to deal with all that it would just be able to deal with that in a healthy way. And what do those conversations look like with your teenage daughters at the moment? Where does the parent even go about trying to begin those conversations without the teenagers or younger, like covering their ears and running in the other direction? That's the thing. We have to be unafraid to talk about those things. And that starts when they're younger. That starts when they're little. You know, it doesn't, you, you can't start having those conversations when they're, when you have a 13 year old girl in your house because. Most of us know what conversations with 13-year-old girls are like. So you have to build that connection beforehand and build that trust that they're willing to come to you when they have struggles, when they have issues, that they feel safe enough to talk about those things with you. Because if they don't feel safe to talk about those things with you, they're going to talk about them with somebody else, and that's not necessarily going to be the best advice that they get or need. So i had to learn as and especially as a father of girls because obviously i'm a i'm a guy and i grew up with brother and you know i didn't grow up with i don't have any sisters or anything like that was learning how to understand girls and 
you know, learning to listen to them. You know, me as the dad, as the, you know, husband, you know, our first reaction is, hey, my daughter's going through a problem. My wife's going through a problem. I'm going to run in and fix it. And I'm just going to lay down my iron fist and just control everything. And, you know, if there's this bad thing happening, well, I'm just going to take their phone away and I'm going to do all this. And I'm going to, you know, and, and I kind of learned the hard way. That's not how that works. I had to sit there and listen to her and get down their level and understand what they were feeling and thinking and going through and just be there for them and support them and create a, again, I hate this term, but create a safe space for them to express what they're feeling so that when they are dealing with these emotional things, they can come to me or to my wife and express that and we can help them versus them feeling they need the validation of posting, sending nudes to the boys in their class or, you know, posting online constantly and getting the social media validation so that they can don't feel that they need to get that validation. They can get that love and acceptance from us and from our family versus trying to get it from random strangers on the internet. Yeah. that's super powerful. I love that you said that. And I think that that's what many of us are missing and we're missing. And that's why we end up going down these paths. And now I want to dig into that recovery process a little bit more. You mentioned a quote on your Instagram, which I thought was really powerful. And you said a habit an addiction, I should say, is not a habit that you need to break. It's a wound that you need to heal. I thought that was very, very powerful. And that comes back to the things that we were just saying, right? In the right. sense that if they don't have that love and acceptance, which senses that that is missing, they go search for it elsewhere. So can you talk to us a little bit more about that recovery process, how you realized why your wounds that weren't healed were showing up as sex and porn addiction versus anything else and how you went about dealing with those. And also if people who are maybe going through that right now, is there a certain correlation? You know, was it the fact that it was seen as bad and you weren't able to explore it without any sense of like this impending doom from God or being punished? Or is it something completely unrelated and can come from anywhere? Yeah. A lot of people think that they will find what they're looking for through sex when what they're really looking for is intimacy and connection and acceptance and love. And we have come as a modern society to equate intimacy and sex when sex is a part of intimacy, but sex is not intimacy itself. And I think of that kind of as like a pyramid. So sex is the pinnacle of intimacy, right? It's the most intimate act. And, but what builds up the base of that pyramid are all those other levels of intimacy. And it, it's not even always sexual or male to female or, or romantic, just in relationship intimacy. So it's, it's emotional intimacy, it's non-sexual physical intimacy, it's spiritual intimacy, it's that mental connection, that, that love and acceptance that you have between other people. And we've got that backwards that we think, well, if we have sex, all those other areas of intimacy will come into place because sex is the most intimate act, you know, then I'll get all the other levels when it's really the opposite around, you know, especially in marriage, you build up those building blocks of intimacy. Your sex life is going to be great. You won't have to worry about your sex life. If you're connecting on all those other levels, you might be having sex all the time, but if you're not connecting on those other levels, your marriage is still going to suffer. So a lot of people think they're looking for sex when really what they're looking for is love and acceptance and intimacy. And that can go back to a lot of these wounds that we deal with. And I, I teach kind of from the inner child model of psychology or, or whatever you want to call it, to where things happen to us generally in our childhood or our adolescence or most often our teenage years that does emotional damage to us. Like I mentioned before, that instance, you get dumped by some girl in high school. Who cares, right? Who hasn't? You know, but that left a mark on you emotionally. That made you think, oh, well, I'm not good enough. Maybe girls don't want me. Maybe, you know, I'll end up alone. You know, you, you, you start believing all these things about yourself, right? Yep. And so you find a way to escape that. And anytime something comes up that triggers that, you run to your escape. So it might have been this instance with this girl when you're 16 that got rejected that, that led you to cause that wound and led you to seek escape from that. Well, fast forward 15, 20, 30 years. Obviously, you're not getting dumped by a girl in high school anymore, but the emotional damage is still there. So you might get your ass chewed out by your boss at work, okay? Has nothing to do with sex, has nothing to do with the girl in high school, but it triggers that same emotional wound with you that, that started with that girl in high school. 
so that I'm not good enough. Nobody wants me. You know, there's something wrong with me. All those type of things. Th that's the emotional wound that the inner child feels. Well, he has the same emotional reaction at 35 when you get ripped on by your boss that he did at 16 when he got dumped by that girl and learns to react in the same way by running away. He gets scared and runs away to, to porn and sex. And so that's what we have to heal. We have to heal that wound from the inside out. And that's why it's not something you quit. It's something you heal from. You can quit something. You can stop doing it and force yourself to stop doing it. But until you truly heal, you'll never truly be over it. That's why so many guys relapse, why so many guys go back to it. They'll get a few weeks or a few months or something of success, and then they eventually relapse. It's because eventually you get to the point where the willpower and the discipline runs out. Because those inner emotions, those inner fears that we have, are way stronger than any willpower we have. And that's why addiction is so hard to overcome. Yeah, so how do we overcome it? How do we then go and do the healing? Because you mentioned you did a bunch of counseling, you read books, etc., and none of that seemed to stick. So what is the process of making it stick? Obviously, it sounds like going back and healing those wounds, but what does that actually look like on a real and practical level? My method is kind of a three-pronged approach. And... The problem with a lot of programs is they only focus on one and to the detriment of the other. So I focus on three things. I focus on help, I focus on habits, and I focus on heart. So a lot of things just do one of those. So there's a side of it where it's just like, you know, man up, pull yourself by the bootstraps. You're not trying hard enough, you know, you know, kind of that, you know, we, there's, there's all these, you know, this, you know, David Goggins and, and Jocko and all these kind of masculinity guys and stuff. They're just like, be harder. No one cares. Work harder, you know, which, okay, in the gym, sure. All right. But when you're dealing with those deeper emotional wounds, that doesn't work. Right. And there is an aspect of discipline in it. You know, we need discipline. We need good habits. We need that motivation and that perseverance to push through. But none of that matters if we don't deal with the heart problem, with the emotional level. Or you see at the other side, and this is where a lot of the counseling and therapists come in, they just want to talk about your daddy issues, but there's never any, any practical accountability or advice or, or date. What do I do in this moment? You know, they just go too deep into the emotions too quick without any sort of framework for them to fall back on and, and boundaries being set. Yeah. So what I've, that's what it took me was those three elements. So the help is that is the help that I'm going to provide you as a coach. So that is number one accountability is having someone that checks up on you, that encourages you, that supports you, that gives you a kick in the ass every once in a while when you need it. You know, the person that, yeah, is going to say, hey, suck it up, work harder. But the guy's also going to say, hey, man, it's all right. I love you. You know, let's work through this together, right? You know, you need both of that. And it's the teaching I provide, the encouragement. And, you know, there's a reason why all these addiction things have sponsors, because we need that. This isn't something you can go at alone. You know, it's not a, a one-man battle here. You can't defeat this alone. Nobody that I know that has overcome this or any other addiction did it just said, oh, I'm just going to do this by myself. They quit it and they're fine. And they move on with their life. That doesn't happen. You know, or there wouldn't be interventions for other addictions, right? So... You need that guidance because it gets hard and there's going to be times where you want to quit and you think this is stupid. I'm never going to quit this. This is dumb. And you need that person to be there for you, supporting you through that and pushing you through in those moments. Second is the habits. Now, I kind of just got done saying that habits aren't enough, but it's true. There are aspects of that that we need. We need good routines. We need good habits. We need to set boundaries and put up guardrails in our life, right? So I use this example a lot of, let's say, you know, when you're driving along a road that's on the edge of a cliff, there isn't just a road and a cliff usually, right? There's a cliff and then there's a guardrail and then there's a rumble strip on the side of the road and then there's the white line that you're supposed to stay inside of. Well, we need to do the same thing in our lives. You know, we need to set boundaries and guardrails there so that when we start veering off, we can course correct and get back on the road where we need to be instead of going off the cliff. So... That looks like routines, that looks like journaling, that looks like setting boundaries. I, I work with a group, a couple of different groups that have accountability software. Covenant Eyes is one of them, Ever Accountable is another one. 
they aren't the be-all, end-all. They're not going to fix the addiction, but they're tools to help. They're going to just take away that temptation. You know, if you're an alcoholic and you're driving past a liquor store on your way home from work every day, you're playing with fire. You know, so you're, it's better to find another route where you don't drive past a liquor store. Yeah, is that going to fix the whole problem? No, but it's a tool in your arsenal to help fix the problem. So all those habits and that framework in that place, we have to have those boundaries in place and that framework to, to work from and those guardrails and, and those things there to protect us in our vulnerable moments and to build healthy habits, build routine, build consistency, build momentum. But the real healing comes then with the heart aspect of it. But like I said earlier, a lot of people jump into the heart aspect and ignore the habit part. I focus on getting those habits in place and then I go into the heart. Because if you start peeling back layers and layers of scar tissue and opening up wounds from 15, 20, 30 years ago, without those habit frameworks in place, guys are going to relapse. Because they, you have to face all these things you've been running away from for all these years. You have to deal with that and, and look it in the eye and stand there and take it and not run away. You have to face it to heal it, right? You can't ignore it. And so you're having to have that foundation in place and have that strength and those boundaries there to protect you when you're dealing with those things. So you're having to deal with stuff you've been running away from for 20 years or whatever. You know, and if you don't have that habit framework and boundaries to protect you in that moment, it's so easy to go back to it. But we do have to focus on the heart. We have to go back and we have to learn what are those core fears? What are those wounds? What caused them? You know, what might be these wounds that happened in your life that caused you to feel these sort of things? So, you know, there's a lot of guys who I deal with the major obvious red flag trauma. You know, they were sexually abused, physically abused, parents divorced, somebody died, you know, kind of obvious things. But just as many, probably even more, and myself included, I didn't have any of those things. I had a nice, a health, happy childhood. But there's still things that happen. You know, I talked about the girl that dumped me in high school. You know, I dealt with a lot of pressure from my dad being a pastor and kind of living in the shadow of a, of a kind of public figure, you know, and, and I was known as, you know, I was never known as Tim. I was known as, hey, that's Pastor Regal's son. And so I struggled with that and, and other things too. And so I had to learn kind of what those things were and what they did to me, what they made me believe about myself. You know, and they made me believe I'm not good enough. Nobody wants me. I'm never going to live up to the standard that my dad set. I'm never going to be that. I'm just a, you know, a screw off, right? You know, all those negative narratives that we tell ourselves, we believe those. And it's those things that we run away from. When those fears get aroused in us and, and things happen to us and things trigger us, we were running away from those fears. So we have to learn what the fears are, learn what caused them. And lastly, and the most important part is learn healthy ways to deal with those. So learn to process those emotions, learn to face those emotions, learn to dispel those lies. Maybe we believe that, you know, we've, we've always come to believe that we're not good enough and we're not going to be good enough. Well, look at what you've accomplished throughout your life. Look at all these things that are through your life. That's not true. You may feel that, but that's not real, right? And so this is this act of what I feel versus what is real. Like, I feel like I'm not good enough. The truth is that's not the case. And I'm a, I'm a strong person and I can get through this and, and I can overcome it. And so that's kind of where the rubber meets the road is learning what the problem is, what caused the problem, and then learning healthy ways to deal with those emotions. So that, like I said, it's not just something you quit, it's something you heal. So not only, so you're not just stopping something that you have an urge to do, it's so that you don't even have that urge because you're dealing with these things on a healthy level. Yeah, it's powerful, it really is. And I like that three-prong approach because if, as I dissect your thoughts on it and I go through that framework, you're absolutely right. Like if you get the coach, let's say, who just gives you that accountability and gives you those words that you need, it's not going to stop you from being super, super triggered. And if you don't have those good habits in place, then you're probably going to eventually end up going down the position. I experienced that as a health and fitness coach a lot. You know, a lot of people still have these emotional things that they have around food and everything along those lines. And my words sometimes aren't enough because they haven't got the framework in place. Then you come down to the habit side of things. But like you said, you're just running on willpower because of eventually it's going to run out. And some people are able to be strong enough for a long enough period of time, but generally that's not the case. And then the final aspect is obviously going back and dealing with those triggers. If you 
try to deal with those triggers. But you know, I've, again, I've seen this again many times before. People go to therapy, think it's going to be transformative and life-changing. But now their triggers are not just in the back of their mind. They're staring them straight in the face and they are almost paralyzed about what to do with them, right? They're like, I just spent an hour talking about my traumas, but I don't actually have anything practical or I haven't got a framework to actually deal with them, right? So there has to be, like you said, those three steps in order to get a bulletproof approach for you moving forward and healing, right? Rather than just one of any of those. And maybe that's a good thing for people to reflect on, even if it's not a porn addiction or if it's any type of addiction or anything you're struggling with. It's like, have you got those three elements in place? And if not, it's probably going to be a pretty productive place to not even just start, but really get in place in your life. Yeah, absolutely. You need all those levels. Yeah, you mentioned a good thing, you know, with with counseling and stuff. You go and you talk about all your issues and do that. But it, yeah, if there isn't a path to follow... It's like, okay, I talked about it. What, what, what do I do with it? You yeah, know, great. How, now how I just I... remember my traumas even more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I just talked about all my, you know, it's kind of cliche, but, you know, I talked about all my daddy issues. Well, what do I do with that? I mean, talking about it is helpful. It's healthy to talk about it, you know, and, and bring it out of the darkness. But if you're not actively working to heal it or process it, then what's the point? And it might even have you resenting your dad even more even though that was situations that maybe happened 20 years ago, right? Maybe you have a completely different relationship, but that brings up anger that you had. So yeah, you have to process those things. But Timothy, this has been an amazing conversation. I really appreciate your wise words today. And I want to ask you a couple of final questions. The first is, what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you do? The impact I want to have is just to be able to help men find freedom from this because I've seen the damage that it did to me and to my marriage and my family. And I see the damage that it's doing to other men and other families as well. And I don't want to see more and more marriages and more and more people and lives be destroyed because of this. You know, it's not some innocent thing that you can just do for fun every once in a while and nobody gets hurt. The truth is that it's destroying men, it's destroying marriages, it's destroying families. And I want to make sure that that doesn't happen to any more men and families. I want to help them find freedom so that they can grow and love and thrive. Amazing. And where is the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up with the work that you're doing? Sure. Best place to find me is probably on social media and Twitter, X, and Instagram. I'm just my name, Timothy Regal. My website as well is timothyregal.com where you can go to find out more information about my coaching and, and how that process works. I have some blog articles on there and some, some podcast episodes as well as my book, Living Porn Free, 10 Steps to Recovery, Redemption, and Renewal is available on Amazon. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time again today, Tim. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, brother. Thank you. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.